0: scripture text tonight is from Romans chapter 2, if are using the Pew Bible, that'll be on page 1117. Then we'll read the Catechism answers together on page 875, the back of the Trinity Hymnal. Romans 2, verses 1 through 5. Let's give our attention once more to the reading of God's holy word. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. On the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Page 875, question 82 of the shorter catechism. As we are now through the Ten Commandments and we think of uh, now some of the graces of the covenant that it will bring us to. But first a statement about the law of God and our obedience to it in these next three questions. Question 82, we'll read the answers together. Is any man able perfectly to keep the commandments of God? No mere man since the fall is able in this life perfectly to keep the commandments of God, but doth daily break them in thought, word, and deed. Are all transgressions of the law equally heinous? Some sins in themselves, and by reason of several aggravations, are more heinous in the sight of God than others. What doth every sin deserve? Every sin deserveth God's wrath and curse, both in this life, and that which is to come. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, as he is leading up to uh, chapter 3, verse 21, which is a, a turning point in that book, but up to that point, he basically lays out three big picture approaches to how one would relate to God. In in chapter 1, it would be those who are without excuse uh, because they suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. In other words, those who say, I'm not going to think about these bigger questions. I'm going to suppress the truth. I'm without excuse. God has revealed himself in the world, and therefore they are without excuse. But they say, I'm just going to to live in my sinfulness and push those things to the side. The second is a a religious approach, an approach of religiosity. Uh, One who would look to his own performance in religious deeds in order to relate to God. That, That their standing before God is basically religious in nature and having to do with their observance of various things. So that can go for both Jews and Gentiles, and in our passage tonight, we'll we'll see uh, whether he's talking about both of those or not. But then, uh, in a couple of places, in chapter 2, there is a uh, picture that he gives that is a whole different approach, and that is the approach of repentance. So you have suppressing the truth, you have religiosity, and then you have Repentance as a fundamental disposition towards God and way that you would think of how you relate to God. Do you relate to God on the basis of religiosity or do you relate to God on the basis of repentance? There are few things more dangerous than than religious hypocrisy. A religious hypocrite would be a person who looks at their uh, performance in religious duties in their pursuits of uh, morality or virtue, as that which would allow them to pass divine judgment after this life. God will evaluate what you did and say, okay, you did enough religious things to pass the bar. A religious hypocrite is also one who is confident in where they stand before God, because they judge themselves in relation to the people around them. And they can only do that because they're engaging in judgment of those people around them. So they judge the people around them. And relative to that judgment that they make or those judgments that they make, they then judge themselves. I am not as bad as so-and-so, and so so I must be okay. A religious hypocrite is often one who allows or who fundamentally seeks for the praise of of men. Thomas Watson says that these are men who are ambitious of credit and wish to gain the repute of the world and therefore they will dress themselves in the garb and mode of religion so that others may write them down for saints. But alas, what is one the better for having others commend him and his own conscience condemn him? What good will it do a man when he is in hell that others think he has gone to heaven. Oh, beware of this. Thomas Watson says more pointedly that the hypocrite deceives others while he lives, but deceives himself when he dies. That's true, but it is also the case sometimes that a religious hypocrite deceives himself also while he is alive. For sin itself deceives. The book of Hebrews talks about the deceitfulness of sin. And the one who believes himself Righteous will, of course, not think of himself as sinful and in need of redemption. But is any man, since the fall, able to perform religiously before God? Is he able to keep the commandments of God? And what would be the standard that God demands? He would demand perfect, personal, perpetual obedience. Because a holy God can accept Nothing less. How you answer that question, is any man able to keep the commandments of God? Is is any man able to pass the, the, the bar of righteousness before God? How you answer that question will determine whether or not you could be on the road to being a religious hypocrite. If you say yes, that yes, then it's possible that someone might perform religiously before God, that someone might do enough things to please God. If you say yes, then uh, you could have the mindset of someone who is drowning in religiosity. If you say no, and if you say that every sin, not just the heinous ones, not just the ones that we think of as the really bad sins, if you say every sin deserves God's wrath in this life and the next, then the only possible approach That you can have to relate to God. The only attitude that you can adopt. Will be one which seeks your salvation through God's mercy. And through the forgiveness that he offers. You will see that the man who trusts in his religiosity is hopeless. And that it is not religiosity but repentance. Where we find hope. Where we find salvation. Romans chapter 2 verse 1. The Apostle Paul there defines for us or puts before us the hopeless religious hypocrite. Who is this man of uh, verse 1? Well, as as we said, it's someone who's drowning in religiosity. Not approaching God on the basis of his mercy. Not approaching God through repentance. But trusting in his own performance. He's a man who believes that what he does will allow him to not enter into condemnation. Uh, He he might be either Jew or Gentile. There are some people who believe that Paul's movement is from the pagan one who suppresses God in chapter 1 to the religious man in chapter 2 to then the Jewish man. And there are others who say, well, it's basically a Jewish pharisaical mindset from chapter 2, verse 1. I think there's a lot of merit uh, to that kind of view because certainly it is the, the, the mindset of the Pharisee that the Apostle Paul is uh, is condemning here. What is the, the mindset of the Pharisee? Well, he is one who judges. You see there in, in verse 1, there is that emphasis in kind of piling on phrases about judgment there's an emphasis that this is what he does the man who is a religious hypocrite is a man who judges you have no excuse O man every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you the judge practice the very same thing so this is not just merely looking down upon someone This is not perhaps entertaining thoughts that you may be better, although that is certainly something you would have to confront in your life. This is an intentional religious act of judgment and condemnation, one who assumes to be sitting in a position able to cast judgment on others. It's somebody who writes other people off, right? A judge renders judgment. Think of the the uh, law of double jeopardy you can't be tried for something twice right when a judge renders judgment that is the final word so this is someone who looks upon someone and thinks that he can render the final word on the state or condition of their soul i'm better than this person this person is certainly going to condemnation they are hopeless so the religious hypocrite is one who judges He is also one who believes he will escape judgment. Verse 3, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, that you will escape the judgment of God? He is living his life believing that he will not enter into judgment. Why is that? Because of the way that he performs in his religiosity. He is one who is not repentant. We see there later in our passage. Do you presume on the riches and kindness of God? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So the apostle is picturing someone who is not repentant. Someone who does not say, I need to be forgiven. Someone who does not say, I need the mercy of God. In a couple weeks we'll have the chance to carefully define repentance... But we're also going to speak of it uh, somewhat at length tonight. It's a fundamental change in disposition. You can trust in your religiosity. Which would be the, the mindset of the Pharisee. Relying on the law. Boasting in the law. Boasting in your performance. You can have that disposition or approach to God. Or your approach to God can be on the basis of his mercy and grace and forgiveness. And that you are admitting to to the Lord that you cannot merit salvation in and of yourself. It's a turn from sin unto God. That's what repentance is. It's a turning around. It's It's a life change in disposition. It is declaring that you do not have confidence relative to salvation. You do not have confidence in yourself. But on the mercy of God. So he is one who is not repentant. He is one who is hard hearted. Because of your hard. And impenitent heart. It says in verse 5. You are storing up wrath. For yourself on the day of wrath. When God's righteous judgment. Will be revealed. God. The picture that you have to see there. In verse 5. Is not that God is storing up wrath. But rather. the, The more impenitent the more evil and wicked a man's heart and a life becomes because of his refusal to repent or his trusting in his religiosity the wrath of God will be more manifested in him on the day of judgment right God is perfect in his wrath he is perfect in his mercy so it's not as if God is in heaven kind of storing up wrath from his end this is a manifestation of God's perfect wrath that will be revealed in the last day. But he is one who is hard-hearted. To be impenitent is to feel no shame or regret for his life, for his sinfulness, for the various imperfections with which he is infected. Someone who is hard-hearted. You see this sometimes in life. Someone who, for whatever reason, cannot get into their minds that they need the grace of God. He's one who's hard-hearted. He is also self-deceived. Someone who is on the path of religiosity. I can perform before God. I can merit righteousness. The last day, I will pass the bar. He is one who is self-deceived. That's who he is. What is this man? He is these various things. He's, He's a judgmental person. He... Believes that he will escape judgment. He is not repentant. He's hard-hearted. He's self-deceived. Therefore, he is guilty. He is guilty. Paul lays this out very clearly in the passage before us. He is guilty according to his own judgment. Because in his life is the presence of the very same things which he condemns. You practice the very same things the Apostle Paul is saying. Oh, is he saying that everyone who engages in this kind of mindset, the religious hypocrisy that he is condemning, is he saying that every single one of them is in their life guilty of all of the gross list of sins that are in, in, in chapter 1 of Romans? So there's obviously a lot of naming of sexual sins and sexual immorality. Homosexuality is central in Romans 1 as well. Is Paul saying that uh, they all are guilty of these kinds of things necessarily? Well, no, not necessarily. What he's saying is in not adopting the disposition of repentance, they fail to see the depth of sin's corruption. And because of that, they don't realize that the very sins that they condemn in their own judgmental attitude flow forth From the vices that are present in their own corrupted hearts and minds. Their hearts and minds are debased because of the fall of sin. It's exactly what we said in article 14 of the Belgic Confession tonight. The corruption of sin goes to every faculty of man. His mind, his affections, his will. Thus we cannot presume in anything that comes from us, that it would pass a bar of righteousness before God. The religious hypocrite doesn't realize this. The sins that he would so quickly point to in others flow out of the same vices that are present in his own heart. So you can even look to the the list that's there at the end of chapter 1 of Romans Where it says they are guilty and and there we're dealing with those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. But they are guilty of all manner of unrighteousness, of evil, of covetousness, of malice. They are full of envy, of murder, of strife, deceit, maliciousness. Many things that someone who uh, is presuming to trust in their own performance. That you would find those vices there in their heart. Strife. Envy, deceit, malice, covetousness. All of those things uh, can be present. So because he has condemned others who practice those things. And yet those sins are present in his heart. Because that's how deep sin goes. Then he himself is guilty. Jesus Gave many uh, words of condemnation to the Pharisees and the Pharisaical mindset. He said, Woe to you, Pharisees and scribes, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup, but inside you are full of greed and self indulgence. You see, they may be able to wash the outside of their lives clean of any evidence of greed, but the greed was there in the heart, the self indulgence was there in the heart. You are like whitewashed tombs, Jesus said. The one who cl- who judges in this way is, of course, claiming for himself righteousness and virtue. If we presume to be able to assume a place of judgment as we look on others, and that would be to say not just that they have some sin in their life that they need to take care of. There's often times where we as fellow believers, can see that in our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a, that's a legitimate thing. But to, to assume the place of judge and to write somebody off, say, oh, well, they're, they're hopeless. They'll never be right with God. They, they're too far gone. To do that is to claim what for yourself? It's to claim righteousness for yourself. That I don't have the kind of sin in my heart that this person has. The religious hypocrite will never accept that first answer of the catechism lesson tonight. No one can keep the law of God, but daily breaks it in thought and word and deed. The sinfulness of man goes down to the core of who we are. And so Paul will say later in, in chapter 2, if you call when speaking then directly, very clearly then to the Pharisees' mindsets and those who are ...Jewish and relying on the law. He says, If you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will... ...and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law... ...and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind... ...a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children... ...having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and the truth... ...you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal... You who say that one must not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? The ways that this could be applied would be in the ways that the Pharisees abused marriage law. That was written in the Old Testament law codes. And we talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. You claim righteousness for yourself. You fail to see the depth of sin. He is guilty because he fails to understand that all will stand before God, not before our fellow men, who are perhaps worse off than we are. The religious man, the, 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 sorry, the religious hypocrite, the one who is caught up in religiosity, there is certainly a, Legitimate religion, pursuit of religion before the Lord. But the man who is trusting in religiosity and ritual, what does he do? He looks around rather than looking up. The phrase, Coram Deo, we live before the face of God. And all things are exposed before him and he sees all. The man who's caught up in religiosity looks around rather than looking up. He says, what are the the people around me? What are they like? And am I perhaps better than they are? We do not live primarily before man. We live primarily before the face of God. And so someone who is caught up in this approach to living, what are they failing to see? They are failing to see the holiness of God. It is an, an overlooking Of God and his holiness, isn't it? Westminster Confession, chapter 2. Says, God is most holy in all his counsels, in all his works, and in all his commands. To him is due from angels and men and every other creature. Whatsoever worship, service, or obedience he is pleased to require of them. Sin, when we begin to think about sin in the light of God's holiness then it becomes clear why such would need uh, such a serious punishment. Thomas Watson says this, Sin is committed against an infinite majesty. Therefore, it is infinite, and the punishment must be infinite. Because the nature of man is but finite, and a sinner cannot at once bear infinite wrath, therefore he must be satisfying in eternity what he cannot satisfy at once. That's what the Apostle is bringing us to in, in Romans 2 verses 1 through 5. Especially verse 5. Where he brings our attention to the wrath of God that will be revealed with his righteous judgment. Since God is holy, the only way that sin could be dealt with is with an eternal outpouring of that wrath on a finite man. So he is guilty because he knows the law of God, boasts in it yet fails to see the depth of his sin. He's guilty and he does not realize that every sin would deserve God's wrath in this life and the next. A man who has this approach would certainly be okay with the, the second question and answer we talked about tonight. Are some sins more heinous than others? Well, yes. There are some sins that are more heinous than others. But the key is what does every sin deserve? Even the little sins. What does every sin deserve? the wrath of God in this life and the next. Even those sins that we would be tempted to say, well, that's just a, that's a minor thing. No, it is an offense against the infinite holiness and majesty of God. So, what is the solution then? The solution then is to throw off this mindset and to flee to repentance Which is a fundamentally different disposition and approach to God. Flee to repentance, which then frees you to see and desire repentance in others. The man who is caught up in this mindset of, I'm going to perform before God religiosity, I'm going to think about myself relative to others and see the sinfulness of others and point to that and condemn them and write them off. Once he changes to repentance, because he sees sinfulness in himself, then he, of course, can rejoice to see repentance in others as well. The first thing that we do when we flee to repentance is we put our hope in Jesus Christ, who is not a mere man. If you notice that, that beautiful first answer that we read in the catechism, no mere man since the fall is able perfectly to keep the commandments of God. And that brings our attention to uh, the gospel promise and the gospel guarantee that because of Jesus Christ and because of his righteous obedience to the law, as we look to him as our substitute, as we trust in him as our righteousness, we do so looking to him knowing that he has perfectly kept all of God's commandments that he has lived for us, that he has passed the bar so that not only are we forgiven of sin, but as we trust in his work for us, God says, you who are united to my son, you are righteous. Everything that he has done is imputed to your account. And so that it's not just a, a clean slate in Jesus that you receive, but it is a fully righteous life lived. That is the glory of the gospel. So to turn to the mercy of God is to turn to the mercy of God as it's found in the one who was not merely a man. He was a God man who himself was subject to all the miseries of this life and yet he was without sin. Who himself suffered and yet he never sinned once and passed the bar of God's law. It's a flea to repentance. And a repentant man hates sin. He hates sin. A Christian who trusts in Jesus Christ. And who sees the glory of the gospel. Is someone who hates sin. Thomas Watson says this. See what a great evil sin is. Which exposes a person to God's wrath forever. You may know the lion by his paw. And you may know what an evil sin is. By the wrath and curse it brings. When you see a man who is brought to execution, you conclude he is guilty of some great crime that brings such a great punishment. So when a man lies under God's wrath, you must say how horrid and evil sin is. A repentant man hates sin. A repentant man sees each day that goes by without God's condemnation ...that is brought upon him... ...not as evidence of his own righteousness... ...but as evidence of God's goodness and mercy. Each and every day we break the law of God... ...in thought, word, and deed... ...and each and every day as God's judgment is stayed. For those of us us who know Jesus Christ... ...we say that is not a sign of our own righteousness. That is a sign of God's mercy. And the apostle is saying... If you are trusting in your religious performance and you think that each day you're able to go to sleep, the sun goes down and you go to sleep thinking that you have avoided God's condemnation that day because you are so righteous, you are fundamentally missing the point. God is long-suffering. He is patient. He is slow to bring about his judgment. Why? So that people would flee to repentance. We are to adore God's patience. We are to be thankful for his patience and his long-suffering. We are to know and to remind ourselves that all that we have comes from God's grace. Each and every day we commit things that if God were to treat us according to our sins... ...would place us in an eternity of hell. So a, a repentant man looks to the staying of God's judgment... And knows that it is a reason to rejoice in God's goodness. A repentant man does not engage in the condemnation of others. Why? Because he sees that he is worthy of condemnation himself. As we see the glory of the gospel, what is it fundamentally recognizing? That we deserve hell. But that in Christ we get heaven and eternal life. A repentant man cannot sit as judge over others, for he knows that it is not his place. And then, so finally, a repentant man rejoices to see repentance in others. Once the the disposition of religious hypocrisy is abandoned, and all of a sudden it's not about condemning others and writing them off, once your view, the view of how you approach God flows forth out of repentance and what is always found with repentance, humility before God and humility before others. Once you see that what you have received in Jesus Christ is not that which you deserve, but that which God freely and graciously bestows upon you in his wonderful and precious promises, then you begin to see other people as just like you, not deserving God's goodness and his grace and his mercy, but perhaps they might be recipients of it as well. As you begin to see the depths of your own need for redemption and the wonders of God's glory in saving you, so too you rejoice to see that in others so that you know that God's grace can reach the depths of a sinful heart anywhere no matter what someone may have done... or what kind of life they may have lived... when you abandon religiosity... to adopt a disposition of repentance... of humble reliance upon God and His grace and mercy... you then rejoice to see salvation realized in others. You rejoice to see the gospel of grace... touch the lives of others. Because you have changed from... being the judge being one who condemns, being one who writes off, to being one who humbly repents, who, him, who sees himself or herself as the chief of sinners and rejoices to see the grace of God that touches the lives of others. Because no man can keep the commandments of God, because all of us who come from Adam and Eve and continue to repeat that story of rebelling against God because none of us can keep the commandments of God. The only way that we can rightly relate to God is through this life change of being humbly repentant all of our days. And when we can do that by the grace of God, we rejoice to see the same in others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we Thank you and we praise you uh, for the good news of grace that is given to us in Jesus Christ. We pray that uh, you will free all of us from a mindset that thinks we can perform a set of religious duties that will attain righteousness before you help us to first and foremost trust in Jesus Christ and that doing so frees us from the demands of the law and yet frees us to joyfully take delight in that which you command us to do, to live according to the law of Christ, to love, honor, and serve you and others. Oh, Father, we pray that you will give us true, deep repentance all of our days. And that we would rely upon your mercy, and grace, upon our Savior and mediator. That he is our plea before you. Oh, Father, awaken our hearts to these things. If anyone trusts in their own religious performance, Father, open their eyes to see the hopelessness of that pursuit. Open their eyes to the glory of Christ that they may look to the Son. The Son of Righteousness. That he would come with healing in his wings. And that we would always have Christ in the center of our faith and trust as our only plea before you. Give us your spirits as well. That as we trust in him, we may live according to the fruit that the spirit brings about. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.